Thank you for listening to this episode of Cliffs and Fences. We are excited to announce that Cliffs and Fences has officially passed 1,000 downloads, thanks to listeners like you. Before you tune into this episode, I'd like to invite you to share this episode or any other episode on all your social media platforms. Cliffs and Fences attempts to bring nuanced discussion to wellness and public health policy. If you value the discussions you find here, the best way to support the show is by sharing it with those you know. I'd like to personally thank those who have followed the show since episode one. We could not have passed this milestone without you. As always, follow Cliffs and Fences on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube for updates and bonus clips after each episode. We hope you enjoy episode eight of Cliffs and Fences. In this episode, I sit down with Ian Miller, author of Unmasked, The Global Failure of COVID Mask Mandates. Ian has followed case trends along with mandates since early on in the pandemic and has compiled all of his findings in one book. We are all, due to our political preferences, subject to feel one way or another about masks. In this book, Ian attempts to present his findings free from bias and political persuasion. No matter your stance on masks, this episode will be one that you do not want to miss. Thank you again for tuning in to Cliffs and Fences. So joining me now is uh, author Ian Miller. Uh, Ian is the author of Unmasked, the Global Failure of COVID Mask Mandates. Um, he's also the host of, of the Unmasked podcast, which I think your, your latest episode came out last Wednesday. So definitely go check that out. Um, I reached out to Ian. Uh, because I was I was reading his book that was released back in January. I'm a big fan of it. I think it I think it breaks down the mask mandates real well. Lots of great graphics. Um, I'm a visual learner, and I really like that Ian's put. You know, uh, and they're not complicated graphs either. They're really easy to read. They kind of dumb it down for someone like me that isn't all that scientifically knowledgeable. Uh, and so it's great. So Ian, thank you so much for for joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, 100%. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Ian. Um, what got you, uh, what led up to writing this book? What what kind of was the motivation behind it? Um, and and why now? Why uh, why did you uh, choose the, the beginning of 2022 to, to get this book out? Well, I started looking at the data early on in, in spring 2020. I live in California, obviously, California has been one of the worst states in the country as far as restrictions and mandates for the whole time, uh, especially in Los Angeles. And so I was kind of interested to see myself, you know, what what's been the effect of some of these policies and came across a bunch of people on Twitter that were kind of doing this work uh, extremely well and but doing it kind of periodically I'm busy. I understand that. So I kind of made it my goal to do it every day. And I wanted to see, you know, what's the change every single day. Um, and then, you know, I, very quickly, once I, I got you know, kind of noticed by a lot of bigger Twitter accounts and they started reposting everything. And obviously then the the count grew and people would say, hey, I live in St. Louis or I live in Philadelphia or I live in Miami. Can you do a chart for my area as well? And so it kind of uh, came from that where it, I realized there were a lot of people looking for this information and looking to see what had happened in their area. And um, especially as, as the time grew, people wanted to, to show it to school boards or to city council meetings and to say, Look, here, you know, you're telling us 
we have to do this, we have to do this. And then the results aren't matching up with what you're saying is going to happen from, from these mandates. Um, so it became kind of a, a the thing I want to do consistently. And as far as putting the book out, I, I realized, uh, and I was told this by a couple of people that are, are, have been wonderful influences on me and helped along the way. Uh, Michael Beatrice is probably the best example where he told me, you know, it's, you should do a book because it's, it's one thing to say, go look at a Twitter page and look at 10,000, you know, tweets over the last two years or Substack works is, you know, read a bunch of articles. It was a book is something you can hand to somebody and say, Hey, look, if you're interested read this book or take a look at this from this page or something like that, it's a little bit easier to reference. Uh, it's also nice for a lot of people to have it all in one place. You know, I've been yeah. sent a bunch of messages saying, I want to see all your stuff in one, one spot. And it's not easy to do that. It's not really possible to do that. There's so many. <laughs> so a book was probably the best way to do kind of a long format look yeah. at, at all this. So that was kind of the idea and the motivations behind it. Sure. No. And as a, as a reader, um, I, I also appreciated having it all in one place because, uh, like you said, this has been, we've been doing some of these interventions have been going on for, for years now. And it's kind of hard to keep track of, okay, where did this all start? Like, how did we get to the point where we are? And that's, that is definitely one of the things I appreciate most about the book is that it is very concise and it, and it, it brings you like the, the, and we'll get into this a little bit. Um, the, the first chapters bring you to, you know, pre COVID, what did we know about, you know, masks and then, you know, the transition in policy. Um, you mentioned that, you know, there were some people that were like, hey, this is some really good stuff. I think you ought to write a book. You had some people that were, um, you said, kind of mentored you and um, gave you some some um, pointers on where to, where to take your information because you were releasing good stuff. I imagine that you also ran into some criticism. Um, Twitter is... Uh, I guess I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of glad, you know, I'd obviously love a bigger following and that would be great, but I also realize that it's like a double-edged sword. Uh, someone like you that does have a, a pretty uh, hefty platform, you're going to get your people that are like, hey, great job, Ian, I, I love your stuff, but you're also going to get those, you know, some really mean critics. What has been, what has been the criticism about your book, about your thinking um, and, and, and that, that side of the arena? Uh, it, there's been yeah, obviously there's different, different criticisms and some of it is, is people that are trying to, to learn or to try to uh, get a broader understanding. And some of it is just ad hominem, you know, attacks, that kind of thing. But I would say that the, one of the main criticisms is like, well, it mass mandates don't matter if people aren't actually wearing masks, which I don't think really stands up to scrutiny because a lot of these, these, these policies were enforced with incredibly strict penalties. Um, you know, I think people can see with their own eyes, especially during the height of the pandemic in, in areas like Los Angeles or New York or wherever that, you know, you see videos of people walking into a store that are masked, they're going to get kicked out. They were yelled at. Yeah. Um, yeah there's an incredibly strict uh, compliance in, in most major cities across the country. And also I think it's, it's, there's a lot of survey data that, you know, surveys can be unreliable to some extent because it is self-reporting, but when you look at the totality of an inconsistency of it, um, it showed that there was, well over 80, 90 plus percent compliance for masking across the country for pretty much all of COVID as soon as the mass minutes went into place. It's also incredibly difficult for people to go in somewhere where it's kind of being societally enforced, where other people are enforcing it. There's a lot of pressure to comply with what other people are doing. You don't want to be the only person walking in there and drawing a crowd or attracting attention to yourself. Um, I don't think that one really holds up very well. Um, I think another one is that, oh, well, you're only looking at just masks, but there's so many other things that could influence this. That's that's obviously true. Yes, there are many things that can influence it. But the point was to show that, you know, we were told that masks were the single most important thing to do. Yeah. Um, 
And if they were the single most important thing to do, if the CDC director comes out, literally, again, we we all, I, sorry to digress for a second, but we all no, kind of look did. at the CDC, the CDC now as like this, you know, this governing body that sets out guidance from on high that, that should be followed and listened to. Um, and so the head of this organization in, in July of 2020, I think it was, says, masks might provide better protection than a vaccine. And then we were told, you know, the vaccines were the way to get to end the pandemic. So if masks were more important than vaccines and, you know, this is this is clearly the way that they were saying we could end the pandemic. And he said that we could bring COVID under control in a matter of weeks. Uh, so, if yeah, if masks are the most important thing to be doing, it should show up. It should show up significantly. We should be able to see it consistently and t- over time and compare locations with and without mandates and, and notice a difference. And that just doesn't happen. And obviously, that's kind of what I try to make the case in the book. Sure. And I, I, I want to echo what you're saying sort of on a personal level. I'm in I'm in the Bay Area, so um, not as extreme as L.A. County uh, or, or Los Angeles in general, but definitely up there as in one of the most um, compliant in mass and, and even post vaccination. We have um, our, our mandate has uh, our county mandate has been lifted for a couple of weeks now. Uh, and still I'm out. I'm outnumbered when I go you know, grocery shopping, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm, I, I feel protected with the vaccination, um, that I got. And so I don't, I don't feel a need to wear a mask, but that's, that's not the general consensus here. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's pretty remarkable that we feel as though, um, the same people that, that sort of dichotomize and point fingers at the unvaccinated are the same people that are most distrusting of the vaccines because they're the ones that are walking around with masks. And so if if, if the vaccines are as effective as I believe they are, then what is the need for a mask? Anyway, now I'm kind of going on a tangent. Um, <laughs> but let's 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 definitely let's hop into your book. Uh, I really like the um, the the first portion of your book where you talk about sort of the mitigation strategies leading up to COVID, you know, when COVID wasn't a thing. Uh, and I want to, without spoiling too much for, for anybody that's going to be interested in reading this after we talk, um, um, you bring up uh, the pre-COVID mitigation strategy. Uh, early 2020, some experts from the CDC had a briefing. Um, and this is uh, from a CDC spokesperson, uh, Benjamin Haynes. Um, he says, this document uh, is called the Community Mitigation Guidelines to Prevent Pandemic Influenza in the United States 2017. So basically, uh, a, a layout of strategies. Um, if a if a pandemic were to happen, a flu-like pandemic, you know, COVID is definitely, uh, you know, fits that, fits that description. If this were to happen, how would we prepare for it? And it says, it draws from the findings of nearly 200 journal articles written between 1990 and 2016. Um, you point out that Nowhere in this in this mitigation um, uh, mitigation strategy booklet, whatever you want to call it, uh, had no mention of masks. So, what was the what was the consensus of masks prior to COVID from your findings? Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought that up. It's it, it, I thought that was one of the the key things to point out in the book is is that you know we did a ton of research. All these organizations that this was their literal one job is to prepare for a pandemic like this did all this research from the best available evidence and there was no good quality suggestions that masks would work um you know at, at the world health organization was pretty consistent on this as well where they showed a, a table of all of the studies high quality kind of randomized controlled trials on masking and it was basically there was no significant impact 
Um, and that's essentially what Dr. Fauci said early on in the pandemic when he said, you know, I don't think you should be wearing a mask. He said that privately. And I think that's another important thing to point out. And I, I brought that up is that he, you know, we don't, he, he was sent an email from the National Institutes of Health and one of their employees saying, uh, you know, we reviewed all these randomized control trials on masking and we don't, there's no significant benefit. And then three days later, he and the CDC come out and say, everybody should wear a cloth mask. Um, so I think it was, it, it was very consistent and, and this wasn't even just us. It was, like I said, it's the world health organization, the United kingdom. I brought up their, uh, their health services agency to show what they have said about masking as well. You know, it's, it's, we all now this term follow the science has become this ubiquitous thing that all the politicians like to appeal to, but all of the science universally, there was no disagreement was masks are not going to make a significant impact when worn by the general public. Um, I think that that is one thing that we'll never probably get a great answer to of why they all completely flipped in April. But I thought that was really important to point out that all of this, this high quality evidence that was compiled by the people, the CDC and the UK and the World Health Organization all suggested it wouldn't make a significant difference. I wonder, I know you, you just said that, you know, we'll probably never get an answer to what what really caused that sort of inflection point on masks. Um, do you have any after like after you, you know, had you compiled this book? Um, did you create any sort of um, hypothesis as to as to why they might have changed their minds so rapidly, um, you know, turning, I don't want to say turning their backs, but turning 180 on, on, you know, their their mask guidance, any any thoughts there? Yeah, I have thought about it a lot. I've talked to a lot of people about it. And I think that there's it's probably a combination of things. Um, I think panic and fear was a big part of it. Um, I think that they just you know, every it's very easy to forget now, but early on, the World Health Organization was saying that something like three and a half percent of people that got COVID were going to die. I mean, that yeah. that is a terrifying number. And we forget how bad the early modeling was that said that we were going to have, you know, 800,000 hospitalizations in the United States in a matter of right. weeks. Uh, every hospital in every part of the country is going to be overwhelmed. So, you know, I think they just kind of panicked and saw this modeling and, and completely accepted it for, you know, that's a whole other podcast and a whole other book. But um, you know, they accepted the modeling and, and kind of, I think they also saw what they thought was the initial success of countries in Asia, um, thought, well, if that works, it's working there, maybe we should try it here. Um, and it really was probably just the kind of the precautionary principle run wild where it's like, well, we might as well try it. We can look like we're doing something. Um, and also, you know, somebody else brought up to me, and I, I think this is a good point that, uh, as the country was kind of reopening by early May really is when a lot of states started to kind of re reopen businesses to some extent. I mean, I was with capacity limits and whatnot, yeah. but at least things were actually open. Mm -hmm. um, it was to try to give people a sense of confidence that they could go back out and start restarting the economy. Uh, like as if it was a light switch that we can flick on and off. But um, so I think it was probably a combination of all those things. Uh, you know, I think it's, it will, like I said, we'll probably never get a great answer, but that's my that's my interpretation is that some combination of just fear, panic, uncertainty, and just throwing anything at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah, and and I think um, to a certain extent that's that's okay if you if you want to if you want to give an intervention a shot. But you do, I think, in my opinion, you do have a responsibility. You know, hey, we're gonna run a randomized control trial. Uh, it's gonna take us this amount of time. If it if it proves negligible then we're not doing it anymore. But if it does prove to be benefit, then we're going to continue to, to follow it. And I just, I, 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 I'm very surprised by the amount of, of mask maskers. I don't want to make, again, I don't want to make this about, you know, tribes, but the amount of maskers that say, you know, the science is settled, the science, like you said, this, 
this contaminated phrase now um, when it's actually not in there. And, and you point out in these in these early chapters that it's it was quite the opposite. There really was no evidence or consensus uh, on masking. Um, but the CDC did try to um, carry out some studies, which you uh, do a fantastic job. I was, you know, I was laughing at some at some points where I'm just like, man, he is really ripping into these studies. I want to start off with the Arizona County study and then work our way into the Kansas study. So these CDC studies that you uh, that you bring uh, bring up, what what went wrong with them? Yeah, that's a, it's a long answer. Um, but I mean, I, th- I think the, the Arizona one to start with, uh, the biggest issue was that they showed this decline in cases and said, oh, it's, it was a 75% decrease in cases due to these masking measures and other mitigations. Uh, and they completely ignored that there were a number of counties in Arizona that never mandated masks that had the exact same declines at the exact same time. I mean, that that is, that's 101 right there, based, you know, science 101 is that if you have a control group, you can't ignore it to try to make your point. Um, so that was, that was really bad. And, and also just, the timing of it where when they released the study numbers in Arizona had gone significantly higher again. So to try to say, Oh, well, the reason why the cases in Arizona in the summer went down was because of masking. And then by the time you post it, the cases have broken the previous records by the time, you know, when the study was conducted, uh, that is really irresponsible. So it's just, it was kind of this like purposely cherry picked start date and end date. And then by the time that their conclusions were already disproven again, they still released it. So I think it was, it's pretty clear that it was not a well-conducted study. It was meant to promote the policy and not meant to kind of accurately inform the public about whether or not these, these interventions were having an impact. Um, uh, do you want me to go into the Kansas one as well right now? Or yeah, absolutely. You... Let's, okay. let's just roll right okay. into it. Cool. So the Kansas one, um, the big, one of the biggest things is that they hid that the cases in the mask mandate county. So that uh, just brief background, the Kansas study was showing that, uh, cases had decreased in mask mandate counties and had increased in the non-mandate counties. So they used a percentage of growth, the change in growth rate. Uh, one of the issues with that was a, the start date where the they started it a week after, roughly a week after the mandate had come into effect. But if you had started looking, tracking that data the day after it came into effect, the numbers are completely different. So you could tell they kind of chose the start date for when they wanted to make it look like the masks made a difference. Um, the other thing is that they, they also kind of hid that the, the cases in the mandate counties were higher than the non-mask counties uh, for basically the entire period. So, you know, it's kind of misleading to say, oh, well, the growth rate changed because the cases in mass mandate counties were higher the whole time. Um, and then also the, it was the same problem where by the time that they released the study, the numbers in, in Kansas and the counties that had masks were had broken the previous records all the, before that. So, you know, it, trying to make a claim that you can credit mask wearing for dropping cases in a couple of weeks later doesn't hold up if they go back up in a couple of months in the same areas that had the mandate to begin with. Um, so that I think both of these were, were really severely flawed as far as, you know, the start dates, the end dates, ignoring the control groups or ignoring other you know, aspects of the control groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then also when they were released that the, the conclusions they drawn had been kind of disproven by that point anyway. Yeah. And remind me, do, do these studies take compliance? And cause that's, that's something that I, I like that you break down a lot. Um, what was the compliance like in Kansas and Arizona? Um, is it similar to what we see here in California or, or not quite? They don't break it down in the studies, um, which again, is very funny because that's a criticism, as I mentioned that I get all the time that I'm not looking at compliance, but they didn't look at compliance. 
I, I'm not sure if they mentioned that in their in their abstract or the results saying like one of the limitations is, com- is compliance. I'm not positive, but uh, and I haven't looked myself at specifically at Arizona and Kansas during that time period. Unfortunately, a lot of the survey data uh, was conducted later. So um, the stuff that I kind of referenced didn't wasn't available for that for those early, early coming of spring and early summer months as much uh, in as much detail. But I, I mean, I would suspect that the compliance would be lower in Arizona and Kansas than it is in California. And just based off of you know my own looking around at different comparisons, different areas, um, there's definitely a different. There's a difference even within California, where Los Angeles is is higher than surrounding counties. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would imagine it's lower. And and that's again, that's another flaw that sure. again that I get if I if I get that criticism, they should be getting it too, right? Yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I do. I definitely hear a lot of people pretty quiet about some of these studies. Um, some of our some of our public health officials on the state level here in California um, have, you know, tweeted out some of these studies uh, without even reading them. And I, I don't have much of a scientific background and or really any. Um, but some of these, a lot of these studies are just don't make sense to me. Now, the ones there's some I simply just can't make sense of because I'm not I'm not terribly great with stats. But like some of these, like wouldn't you know, pass, you know, some college project. Right. And, and it's just, I wonder, this is a little bit uh, off topic. What do you think, what, what do you, from the people that you've talked to in your own opinion, what do you think that this is going to do in the long term for organizations like the CDC, the NIH that are putting out these studies that are, like you said, they, they go into it with encouraging the policy in mind, right? They're not going in to find out whether these interventions work, but how can we continue to promote these interventions with this data? Um, what do you think that's going to do in the long run for these institutions? I think it's it's going to, if it hasn't already, it's going to severely impact the, pe- the trust that these people that people have in these institutions. Um, I, I Deservedly so. I mean, when they're putting out work that that's, that's this bad and that's this, this easily disproven, it's not just me. There are a lot of other people that have kind of broken it down in, in even further more, you know, statistical detail than I have. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, especially one that they put out recently about it, it was a California based one where it was uh, that wearing an N95 mask reduced uh, your risk of infection by you know 90% or whatever it was compared to no mask. A cloth mask was like 57%. Um, so they put that up in their graphic and then there's a little asterisk next to the cloth mask uh, section that says not statistically significant. And it just makes your head want to explode. How can you include, a result as some kind of, uh, you know, broad new, new conclusion when it's not even statistically significant. That shows you that they're trying to sell a policy and they're not actually trying to you know, do science. Uh, and in the CDC's reports, a lot of times they specifically will say this is meant to promote the, the guidelines. It's not meant to be a study, um, but everybody treats it that way now because of the pandemic. You know, a lot of times like Phil Kirpin on Twitter, I'm sure you've come across, does a great job of chronicling how all the CDC guidance on on things that make absolutely no sense, like, oh, don't eat steak medium rare, or if you have one, don't have more than one alcoholic drink per day. Um, you know, it, it's just stuff that nobody paid attention to. And they still haven't updated their guidance for the Zika virus. Um, so, you know, these these institutions are, are overly conservative. Um, they're, they are trying to promote a policy. They're not trying to be objective observers of science in a lot of ways. Um, they kind of, and that's one of the biggest, biggest problems I think that we've seen over the last two years is that a lot of these bureaucracies, they, they kind of come to a conclusion in some cases without any evidence at all, and then try to backfill in the reasons for why they came to it. And that's why we're seeing such poor evidence because there wasn't any to support these measures. So they're, you know, they kind of have to, to make it up as they go. 
And what they're doing to make it up as they go is very poorly done and very poorly constructed because there is no evidence that it made a difference at all. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'll play devil's advocate. Um, and this is based off of like criticism I've heard, uh, in, in my defense of why I don't think masks are any good as of, of an intervention is that, well, things, things would have been much worse. Um, had we not worn masks? Um, and, I guess I wonder what like your thoughts are on that. I haven't myself articulated an argument, you know, against that argument. Um, and, you know, you sort of you you point out in your in your book, you know, the reasoning behind uh, like here in California, we had a, a point where we took off masks uh, and then we had a point where we put them back on when when things were already on the in, uh, on the decline or the incline. I'm, I guess I'm confusing those right now. Uh, but what's what are your thoughts on that argument that, hey, things would which would have been much worse um, had we uh uh, rip the masks off. It's just as easy to say the opposite, which is that it might've been better with no masks. Okay. I mean, that, that assuming that masks made a difference is, I, I don't think there's any evidence to back that up. And there's no, like I said, you know, was a point out in the book we talked about, there's no pre COVID evidence to suggest that it would make it better. Um, and I think that's kind of the point to show these comparisons where, like, as you mentioned, uh, when California lifted the mask mandate, something like uh, like Los Angeles and Orange County, where Los Angeles continued a mask mandate from July of 2021 to uh, December or has to today, really. And Orange County did not have it. They lifted it as soon as California did in June and uh, only had to, to reinstate it when the state did in December. And the numbers in Orange County were better the whole time. So, uh, you know, and you can do this with areas like Sweden, where we know hardly anybody was wearing a mask. There was no general mask mandate. Uh, it was very loose recommendations. And the numbers there are completely unexceptional by the standards of the rest of the world. They've dramatically overperformed the European Union, in fact, by you know, mortality rate, think, which is the most important factor. Um, so I think that there's a, a very clear, consistent pattern that when you can compare areas with and without mandates, there's no benefit. And if there is a benefit, it is so small that it's invisible <laughs> every single time. I mean, almost everywhere you go, it's it's the same comparison. Somebody will ask me, like, can you compare this area to that area? And I don't know the results going in. And as soon, every time I do it, it comes out the same. So, it you know, it's not just like, oh, you know, there's half the time it's a benefit, half the time there isn't. There's no benefit. There's never a benefit. Um, and that's that's one of the things that I think it, it's it's just the, taken as a totality. You know, it's not one specific example. I would say, oh, well, that proves it. But taken in its totality, if there was a significant negative side effect to removing masks, we would see it by now. And we haven't. Um, you know, one of the best examples was Texas. I, I wrote a long part of the, uh, the one of the chapters of the book about Texas, about how they, when they lifted their mask mandate in March 2021, everybody went nuts. I mean, politicians went crazy. They were calling Abbott a leader of a death cult. They wanted to murder Texans. I mean, it was the, the, the Joe Biden said it was a Neanderthal thinking move. I mean, this was, it's, it's so easy to forget because there's been so many things that have happened, but I mean, that was the, the sense from March, 2021 was that Texas was going to kill everybody by removing a mass mandate. And then a couple of weeks later, the numbers went down 40, 50% or whatever it was. They kept dropping and stayed low for a number of months. So I think it's, it's just, it's one of those uh, kind of received wisdom things from early on uh, because people put so much trust, early, especially in the, it early on in, in Fauci and the CDC and the NIH, that they just can't accept a world in which they haven't been right. And and that's what we've, the, but the data shows that all of these, these assertions that Matt, removing masks were going to make a, a huge negative side effect, they've all been wrong. So yeah. 
um, my hope is that, you know, the book and a lot of other people, as we keep saying now, we're seeing more and more states removing mass mandates. Uh, we can keep doing these comparisons and showing that there is no significant side effect to, to removing a mask mandate. It just doesn't make a difference. So, yeah, I don't think to answer your original question, if that was a big deal, if, if not having a mask was a, was such a, a huge side effect, uh, we would see it show up and it just hasn't showed up. And you brought up Sweden, and that that was really interesting because I I personally I, I would only ever hear Sweden like periodically, like they would show up in the news and then they'd be gone, and then they'd show up and they'd be gone. Uh, and I think I have a reason as to why that is, but I'll let you I'll give you I'll, I'll let you have like your take on it. Um, but you do point out that the mass compliance in Sweden was uh, was it two percent? Yeah, two percent. So, something like two percent. Yet their yeah. results really. Uh, you know, for someone that is 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 a diehard masker, you would think that Sweden would be, you know, darn near extinct at this point. Uh, your take on Sweden, why it, why it makes its way in and out of the news cycle? Yeah, and the obvious answer is just that it it's convenient to bring them up when the numbers go up there, and it's inconvenient to bring them up when the numbers go down. And they kind of disprove a lot of these arguments because it's there's always this this uh, messaging, and we we've, we've seen this con- it continues today with like New York is my favorite example recently where. The governor says uh, we can lift the mask mandate because everybody wore masks and did the right thing. And that's why we brought our cases down, except in New Jersey, it didn't have a statewide mask mandate over the last couple of months. Numbers were better and went down at exactly the same time and exactly the same rates. So it's it's this kind of like the media in, in large part and politicians like to credit collective behavior with dropping case rates or dropping any of these these covid metrics. It's well, we did the right thing. Everybody did the right thing. And that's why it went down. But Sweden never did the right thing by their standards. And so when it goes down, they don't have a good explanation for it. When they go up, they say, see, it's because they're not doing the right thing. Um, so it, it's it's a very frustrating, consistent pattern that uh, politicians like to kind of credit themselves while ignoring examples that that show the exact opposite. Uh, and I think that it's it's early on, Sweden's numbers were we're pretty bad. I think that's partially due to, you know, the, the nursing home problem, just like a lot of other areas had in, in early spring 2020. Um, but over the last year and a half, you know, their numbers have been better than a lot of countries that have been incredibly strict about, about COVID measures, places like Germany and Austria. So it, it's a, it's a very uh, easy target when the numbers go up there, which also ignores that with like winter 2021, 2022, the numbers went up everywhere or uh, excuse me, 2020, 2021. Yeah. Um, so regardless of policy, they went up everywhere. California had the biggest increase of the pandemic. The, the numbers here were huge in terms of mortality and, and all these other uh, excess deaths and, and age-adjusted mortality. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just it's be, it's a very easy target and a, a very inconvenient example of the futility of all these interventions. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I wrote a big Substack about this last summer. Like, why does nobody want to talk about this anymore? And I think it's pretty pretty clear at this point why they don't want to talk about it. Yeah. For sure. And you bring up California because California has been um, up there with, um, I think, I, I don't know, I don't know what really the consensus is now uh, on the, you know, pro mask side of things, but California and New York were sort of, I don't maybe, maybe I shouldn't even say sort of, um, were hailed as, you know, these, uh, I want to read this quote because it's kind of, this kind of uh, is ironic. And uh, I thought it was funny that you you brought it up in your book, but they were hailed as some of like the leaders of the pandemic. And, you know, leaders like uh, Anthony Fauci were very critical of places that weren't like those states, uh, Florida. And that's uh, you dedicate a whole chapter to Florida in your book. And I definitely want to dive into that. Um, You say that um, 
Gavin Gavin Newsom in a press conference said that science was going to be the North Star. Um, very corny. I thought that was like, I don't know. I just thought it was like <laughs> kind of it was just kind of lame to say. Um, but you argue that California didn't follow uh, this North Star of science. Um, could you paint the picture for people that don't live in California? Um, I don't I don't truly feel that people grasp um, like how intense California was with their COVID measurements. And, and uh, you bring up uh, L.A. a lot. And so what can you paint that picture for those people that may not be familiar with the California lockdowns and things like that? Yeah, California is a, it's just it's a great example because there's been so many different rules and tiers and and restrictions based off of uh, all these absurd kind of made up numbers, you know, 50 cases per 100,000, things like that. So you can you had a lot of different areas that had different policies. So you can kind of compare, well, what has been the impact? And every time you do these comparisons, it never matters. Uh, I don't think people realize, but last in, in December of 2020, California closed outdoor dining entirely again. I mean, it was like full lockdown. I mean, it, you know, these capacity limits were incredibly strict. It was something like 25% for most businesses. Uh, it was very strictly enforced. There, you know, the uh, Los Angeles had no indoor dining. I want to say uh, there was maybe three weeks of indoor dining between April of 2020 or March 2020 and July or June of 2021. I mean, it was well over a year where LA essentially had no indoor dining whatsoever. Um, and so you would think, okay, well, there's no indoor dining. We know that's a huge risk, according to the experts. Uh, LA's had universal masking policies, outdoor masking policies this whole time. Uh, the numbers should be great, right? There should be a significant benefit, except LA, if it was a state, would have one of the highest death rates in the country and one of the higher death rates in the world. So, and, and when you compare it to local other counties, which I show in the book where you, you see, okay, well, this, this area had closed indoor dining or closed this, um, the numbers would be better, except they're worse. They're worse than Orange County and San Diego that had fewer restrictions uh, for the, during this time period. Um, and you can see with California and, and I use Florida as a comparison a lot with them, even though obviously they're different sides of the country, but uh, California had a higher excess deaths percentage than Florida, a much higher over during that winter time period with indoor dining clothes, with the universal mask mandates, outdoor mask mandates. With I think LA even had curfews at some point where you, you know, COVID was much worse after 10 PM. So you just <laughs> had to go back inside after 10. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's laughable because it is, it was so ridiculous. That's how bad it was here with, you know, I, I personally, I can tell you, I got yelled at many times walking around outside without a mask on. Um, and it, it's a, a LA is another good example of this, where the media would like to kind of give credit to these policy interventions and do what the CDC did of ignoring the control group. So, you know, they would say, oh, outdoor dining closures in California brought the curve down. That's what did it. It worked, except Arizona, which never closed outdoor dining in that time period, had the exact same decline at the same exact time. So it, it's just, again, they, they, uh, the amount of ignorance out there is astonishing. I think that's, that's really one of the reasons why these policies have, have continued on for so long is that people just don't know. They don't know that other areas are not doing these things and the results are better. They just kind of assume it must be working because they've been told that it must be working by other media members or politicians or, or experts that they hear. So yeah, California, it's, it's been crazy. <laughs> Yeah, and I want to I want to go um, on something slightly. I don't want to say like outside of the scope of of what the book talks about, but maybe s some of the things that you might feel on like a personal level after doing all of this research. Um, what are your thoughts about 
masking and, and this sounds kind of weird when I first say it, masking and religion. Like, do you think masking and, and you know, I, I guess you could throw in vaccines to a certain extent. Do you think it's become like religious for people? Because um, like, for example, prior to COVID, um, I I can't I can't remember, um, you know, I had a, I had a, oh man, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for this one. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. This, uh, so I had, a, I had a family member that had told me that they were, uh, let's see how, how it was. They were in contact. They went to a party uh, and someone there tested positive and they wanted to let me know that this person tested positive because I had saw them after that person tested positive. And so there was some, you know, possibility that I was exposed to COVID. Prior to COVID, we never like said, hey, I tested positive for flu. You know, um, we never asked each other like, hey, you got vaccinated. You know, which vaccine did you get? Um, I'm kind of rambling on. But what do you think? Like, how how do you think that masking and, you know, uh, COVID has become a religion for people? Uh, and what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it, it's I like to say it's the it's the believe in science crowd where you see these yard signs everywhere uh it was in this house we believe in science so it's like the biggest thing on the top of the of the yard sign uh you can't believe in science uh, that's not how it works so you can believe in the scientific process to try to sort of learn and, and grow and obviously as a as a society as a human race we have science has been unbelievably important i mean everybody believes in science if we didn't we wouldn't have the buildings we have and the cars we have and, and you know i mean all the technology it's it's that there has to be a method to it and a process to it. Just saying, I believe in it doesn't make any sense. It's just it, what they mean when they do that is that they believe that every single thing that they hear from somebody that they trust that shares their political ideology, essentially, uh, that they believe in that. Well, that's that's essentially a religion. That's, you know, when you go to a church, you you believe what the pastor tells you or the the rabbi, whatever it is. So it, it's essentially the same thing. And I think they've it's been kind of perverted to, because what they mean is, oh, I believe that climate change is real and I believe that we need to wear masks to stop COVID. That's what they're saying. It's not about the actual scientific process. Right. Um, because if you look at the scientific process on, on things like masking and other interventions, it, it's showing that it doesn't work. It, you know, it's, it's easily disprovable to show that this stuff hasn't made a significant impact. So it, it's such a frustrating th aspect of modern culture that uh, in an effort to kind of declare your allegiance to the good, the good guys, the good team, mm -hmm. you have to put up these, these, these slogans that say, I, so that's completely ridiculous. It's not a, not a, it's not a real thing. It's just a, a an empty slogan. Um, and, you know, I, I think you see it in the Bay area, you see it in Los Angeles, it, it has become somewhat of a marker to show that you belong to the correct set yeah. of ideologies. It's, it's this overarching set of beliefs that are all connected. Like I'm not like those those hicks down in in Alabama or Texas or Mississippi. I do the right thing. I believe in science, um, and and that's not a, a healthy attitude. And I think it's a, a lot of politicians have kind of taken advantage of that over the last two years to uh, to to implement these kind of endless policies. And in California, they've already kind of set the stage for it to come back and reoccur whenever they see an increase or a new variant, which is just going to keep happening. So, and I wonder. There's been a lot of, well, maybe I'll get into that next, but let me see. Let me see. There's been a lot of discrepancy in sort of, sort of the guidelines and, and you outlined this, you know, where compliance was high, where recommendations were a lot different, but we've, we also have had our own discrepancies 
on a on a domestic scale uh, and what i mean is like the um the um american academy of pediatrics has has said you know what masks are recommended um for kids uh the cdc obviously recommends that we know that um but internationally that is not the consensus at all how is it like how is that impacted the scientific community here in the U.S. and then on an international scale? Well, I think it comes back to that that ignorance that I was just mentioning, where I don't and I don't think anybody knows that. I don't think most people, unless you are really have delved into this in a very kind of deep way and have followed the right people on Twitter or or other news sources, know that we are kind of an outlier as far as masking kids, especially kids as young as two. Um, I think it's just it's just become again it's like people just watch the local news they hear from their local health director or their local school board and they just kind of accept what what they're told and assume that it must be based off of science because they believe in science so um, I think it, it's it's very important to keep pointing that out that a lot of other countries have never masked kids in schools or they've never masked kids as young as two like we have in, in other aspects of life. Um, and there's significant downsides to this. Uh, and, and as I, as I have done the work and a lot of other people have done the work, there's no benefit to it. It's very obvious at this point that there's no benefit to it in schools that every comparison you can make that's done well has shown that there's no benefit. Florida had counties with schools that were mask mandates and, and schools that were mask optional. Uh, and there was no difference in, in COVID rates. So it's, it's just a, a, another symptom of the problem of media, not presenting the full scope of information. Uh, and just kind of highlighting what they choose to highlight. And I'm sure a lot of this goes, you can point to health departments saying, we, you know, we need you to do this, we need you to do that, or we want you to promote this. And they all think that they're doing the right thing. Um, but obviously, I don't think they are. I don't think that that is the right thing. I think it should be presenting the whole story and presenting the whole the whole scope of information. I think, uh, you know, it, you see, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Tracy Hogue, and I'm, mm-hmm. forgive me if I mangled the pronunciation of her last name, but She's done a lot of work on this with masking in schools, and she has experience and in, in contacts in Denmark and uh, other areas. And it's, I think it's, it's she's kind of provides this perspective, and you can see that she's kind of confused as to why there's so much argument about this in the United States. So I think that, as I mentioned with the scientific community, I think that's a, a, a major concern is that you have these kind of activist Twitter doctors that are very pro-masking, pro-this, in large part, I'm sure, due to the, the kind of believe in science ideology. Um, and then you have people that are more connected internationally that are going, well, wait a second, we're an outlier here. And if we are an outlier, what are we doing? You know, where's the proof that it's necessary? Um, so I, I think it's created a lot of disconnection between the United States and the international scientific community for no good reason at all. Um, and it, 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 it's very frustrating that it has ever been the case and it needs to be completely removed permanently forever immediately. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if this is this is kind of i don't want to say like uh off topic but after doing all of this this research um so your book basically concludes that you know masks masks aren't an effective intervention on a on a community level uh, or community to stop community spread um why do you think that is so why why is it that masks don't work um because i know many people will say well you know, it just it just makes sense that they work because, you know, for example, when you sneeze, if you have a mask on, you're you know, it stays in the mask, which is disgusting. Um, but it's but it's also, you know, OK, yes, like on, on, I guess on a technical level, yes, it does work because it, there is a physical barrier. Um, so why why don't they work? Why don't masks stop uh, community transmission? 
Well, when you say blocking sneezes, what that's doing is blocking something that isn't the main route of transmission for COVID. It's just, it's also, there's also these, these particles that just go right through it that we not see. And I loved these examples during the the recent Canadian uh, protests that were going on. Obviously it's very cold, January, February, and you can see the breath from the cops and the, and the other protests, even the ones that were wearing masks just goes right through. You see it in the air. Uh, you can see that at football stadiums during COVID where you would, you know, Wisconsin in December, you just see that it goes right through the masks. Uh, that's the problem. You know, you're, you're trying to block something that it can't be, that can't be blocked by, by that. It's just much too small. It just goes right through it. Um, and that became, a, 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 it was contentious early on whether or not it was droplets versus aerosols. I think I bring that up with the World Health Organization said, nope, aerosols don't exist. That's not the main route of transmission. And then just a couple months later, there's like, oh, 150 scientists can have consensus that it's aerosol transmission. Bizarrely, a lot of these scientists then went on to say, oh, it means that we need to do more masking, except all of the, again, I bring, I bring this up in the first chapter, all of the evidence on, on masks versus aerosols suggests that it, they don't work. They don't stop aerosols. And we can, we can literally see that in reality. Um, so, you know, the masks were trying to do something that they were not designed to do, that they can't do. Uh, there's this misconception that doctors wear masks because of, to try to stop viruses. That's uh, over and over again. You'll hear that. That's another criticism. Well, if it doesn't work, why do doctors do it? Uh, but it's not doctors. You know, when you went to see an, a normal family doctor in, in 2019, they weren't wearing a mask to see your kids or to see you. Uh, it's surgeons. Surgeons were wearing masks and they were doing that in theory to try to prevent these large, like you say, sneezes, those large droplets or bacteria from dropping into an open wound during surgery or to protect them from spotters of, uh, you know, blood or other material from hitting them during surgery. Uh, those are much larger than aerosols. So if we could, if you had it in an operating room where it was zero degrees, you would see their breath just going right through the mask the whole time, but it might be stopping a couple of bacterial droplets from dropping into an open wound. Um, and, and again, even then, a lot of the research that was done on, on masking from surgeons showed that it wasn't particularly effective at, at doing that even. Um, so it, it's, a, it's just, again, it's one of these misconceptions that is, is so easily disproven the second that you look at the, any of the, the scientific evidence about it, but people don't know it. They just don't know. Um, so I think it's pretty clear that they, they you know, that you didn't go into things like hygiene and using them properly and disposing of them properly. Uh, and expecting people to know how to do that was completely unrealistic. So it, it's just, it's a, it's been a complete mess. Uh, these, these recommendations are, you know, I mean, you, you can see these videos of the Surgeon General wrapping up a t-shirt as if that was going to stop anything. Um, but yeah, it's just physically unable to stop aerosol transmission. And that's the main route that most of the COVID is spread through. Yeah. I, 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 I know that was a reference to, I know you left a comment on the, uh, the, the Surgeon General's video back in 2020 where he was taking a t-shirt and, um, and that was pretty funny because it, it really is like we have this conversation about misinformation, um, and people like you are going to be labeled as, um, you know, harming because you're spreading all of this misinformation, misinformation kills people. Um, but it's like, okay, so what, what really is the misinformation here? And I, I wonder if you, you talk a lot about how, the people that are for masks are simply for masks due to ignorance. Has anybody reached out to you or uh, maybe like indirectly told you that that this book and the things that you lay out in this book has changed their minds? Have you reversed anybody's uh, train of thought on on masking and its effectiveness? Honestly, I don't know. I think I, I hear from people that the answer is yes. And I hear from people that they've given it to friends or family members or or you know, local people and, and they've heard back that it, it did help open their eyes to it. Um, I don't know how many 
it, it, obviously that was part of the hope as well, that it would help change some minds. I mean, if you're just preaching to an echo chamber, we already already knows that. Um, so the hope would be to try to reach people. And I try to, in the book, be as, as kind of uh, neutral as possible about all of this, because I don't, it, you know, the, I want the tone to maintain that kind of sense of this is an objective look at, at the evidence and it's, it's just not there. Um, so I hope it has, has made an impact. I, I don't know to what extent. Um, I think that the, over time, the percentage of people that have been open to hearing about the information has, has gotten a lot larger. Early on, I think the majority of people believed that masks would work because that's what they were told. I think as the numbers just keep going up, regardless, a lot of people are starting to look around and go, well, wait a second. You know, literally uh, just a couple of days ago, SNL did their their skit showing uh, dinner conversation. And, oh, wait, were the masks really necessary this whole time? Did anything we do actually make a difference? And when the kind of like the voice of, of modern progressive liberalism is uh, is having that conversation, you know that this, the kind of Overton window has shifted and, and the conversations are moving. Um, so I hope that as as time, as we get further and further away from March and April 2020, um, people will be more open to, to looking at the, the evidence and data. And hopefully the book will be a part of, of changing some minds. And um, and that's really one of the one of the things I, I talk about all the time is we have to kind of destroy the underlying method, uh, justifications for masking a, as a whole, because otherwise there will always be an excuse to come back to it. I mean, the CDC already said we're going to give people a break from masks. What, what is that? What does that mean? A break? So in, in three months, when we get another new variant or the numbers go up in the South again, because of summer, we're going to say, uh, we got to go back to masking. I mean, that, that just can't be a way to go through life permanently, especially when we know that there's, at least I, my opinion is we know that there's been no impact from it. Um, does that mean that as long as the CDC decides they can mandate masks on airplanes, that we're going to be doing that in the foreseeable future forever now? Um, you know, our hospitals, are we going to never be able to go see a doctor again without a mask on in healthcare facilities or ride public transit without a mask? I mean, it, it's just you have to kind of destroy the whole methodology behind it and the whole assumption behind it, because otherwise there's always going to be a reason for them to come back to it. Yeah. And just to, you know, just sort of to wrap it up, that's a this is a great segue. And what I wanted to ask you now is like, what what do you see uh, at the you know, we're, we're only, um, you know, we just completed two months of the new year. Um, and what's, I, I wonder what you think is going to happen, you know, towards the end of the year, um, is COVID, I mean, obviously no one really, I don't want to say no one really knows with COVID, but if it wants to come back in the winter months, it, it'll, it, it'll do so, right. It's, um, going to, de- you know, determine its own destiny to some extent. I'm kind of dumbing it down. Um, but you know, we're seeing that in this, this past, you know, four, six, four weeks, Lots of uh, blue states have been lifting their their not only their indoor mask mandates, but their school mandates. Um, we just a couple hours ago heard that that Gavin Newsom decided that uh, March 11th at midnight, um, going back to that that curfew of, you know, COVID's severity all of a sudden uh, disappears at midnight, March 11th. Uh, but anyway, the 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 K through 12 schools are not going to be required to mask anymore. That's still strongly recommended. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know open ends like you said we're just going to take a break what do you see um as as the year rolls on um what's what's going to happen with covid well i i would be stunned if we don't see another large increase in cases in the south in the summer and then all all across the whole country again in the winter just like we have for the last two years um you know we've never looked so hard to find cases of anything before. I mean, as you mentioned the flu, it's, you know, we never, nobody went and got tested for the flu unless you really needed to. 
Um, that's not how we've, we've treated COVID over the last two years. And, and even though I think a lot of policies are ending, I don't think that people are, a lot of people are going to stop getting tested for COVID all the time. A lot of it are still companies are, are requiring it. Yeah. Um, and, and also, you know, I think it's going to be, it, people are not, it's going to be very hard to transition people into treating COVID like the flu after two years of telling them that it's not the flu. Yeah. Um, so as long as we keep testing for COVID, we're going to keep finding more cases. And the further we get away from the initial kind of pe- wave of people that got infected, you're going to lose some of that, you know, the immunity will wane over time and you'll start getting people that have getting, are getting it for the second time or the third time, or, you know, a, 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 the vaccines uh, the prevent infection there, the, whatever they did, if they did at all in the beginning, it's now completely gone essentially for most of the variants. So as people that have been vaccinated, they're just going to, you see more of those people keep getting infected. Um, so I think it's it's going to keep continuing. And obviously, places like Florida, they're back to normal. They've been back to normal for a while. They're done. Uh, and and so you're not going to see anything change in, in areas like that. I think California, it's very likely we'll go back to mask mandates uh, later on this year. I think that, you know, there was a, I believe his, his name's Eric Ting, is a, a Bay Area reporter who, who yeah. posted a um, posted a, a polling data that was sent to him, internal polling data about, you know, did, from swing voters, like the Democrats go too far with COVID restrictions. And it was like 60% yes. Relatedly, a couple of days later, a lot of the blue states lift their mask mandates. I think that's, that's you can kind of draw a direct line there. So my concern is that, you know, the, some of these policies might be temporarily removed through the midterm elections, because it's in, especially in blue, blue areas, because it's beneficial for them to do so. But then they might come back again in the winter uh, to kind of appease their base of people who want permanent masking uh, and, and the joy Behars of the world that will never feel safe again without their mask. So I'm, I, I don't I want to be hopeful and say that we're going to see it, uh, more and more places shift to to just basically going back to full normalcy. But my concern is that there will be a lot of areas that that go right back to it. Uh, internationally is one other thing thing I bring up all the time because, you know, we're we think about our local areas, but. I, until the world, the world is nowhere close to back to, to normal. It's not back to 2019. You can't just get on a plane and go anywhere you want to go without jumping through a million hoops or or proving your supposed health status. Um, and that's not acceptable to me. And and so I'm, my goal is to keep doing this as long as I possibly can to show until we get the world back to normal, because it, it just can't be, we can't let this become the new taking your shoes off at the airport where you're just expected every time you go to France or Italy or Germany or Austria to have to prove your health status or wear an N95 or get tested 14 times in two days and or be forced to quarantine. I mean, a lot of these the, uh, countries are still forcing people to quarantine for 10 days or a week or whatever it is uh, before they're allowed to enter the country. I mean, that, that just can't be can't be an acceptable way to live. Um, so I, I I do have concerns that a lot of areas that have been even more strict will continue to to keep going for the extended period of time. Um, I hope I'm wrong, but that's that's kind of my semi pessimistic view. Yeah, well, I value your opinion, but I do hope you're wrong too. Um, <laughs> yeah, because uh, I, I I had a feeling back in last summer that when the masks we were given a break from, um, you know. From from the CDC, I had a feeling they were going to come back because the vaccine rates just weren't there to. And like you said, they don't they they weren't stopping infection, and they continue not to stop infection. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see. Um, I think a lot of the blue states do have a potential to to go back to the way things have been once the midterms are over, like you point out. Um, but 
Ian, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Um, for the listeners, please go check out his book, Unmasked. It's available on Amazon. Um, it is just, like I said, a really fascinating, and even if you are, um, I know we talked about, uh, there's, you know, you may feel like this is an echo chamber if you are on the side of uh, no masks. Um, but I, I never really felt that that was the case because it gave me more insight as to why they weren't effective. Why is it that, you know, uh, there's uh, the comparisons there that I just that the information that I didn't have even as a, a non-masker before uh, I read this book. And so go check that out. Also, go check out his podcast on uh, I listen to it on Apple Podcasts. I know it's there. Um, and again, it's been such a pleasure Ian, for having you on. Thank you so much for for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Cliffs and Fences. If you want to help the channel, leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and YouTube for clips and podcast updates.